0: not believe it but after what 14 or 15 weeks we are moving on from forgiveness after 14 weeks of looking at forgiveness we should all have that down pretty well okay if not i'll remind you (laughs) the least that i can do and we move today into uh A very cherished text in my heart. Second Corinthians chapter two, verses twelve through seventeen. As you, those of you who have ministered with me for years, know that I will set this up, and uh, we will deal with it. in... Uh, how many did I? Seven weeks. Two point seven weeks. Think you can do it? Let's pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father. We praise You. To You be the glory. To You be the glory that we are here this day. To You be the glory that we cherish in our hands the holy word of You. To You be the glory that You've drawn us this glorious day. To You be the glory, Father, that our hearts be stirred and strengthened by Your words. And that, Father, for such a time as this, You have placed each of us. Father, to You be the glory. Father, as we bow before your book this day, please, Lord, may it master us, and we will be children of the most high God and walk in a manner worthy of this privilege and this calling to your glory, your praise in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning of verse twelve to the end of chapter two. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, for not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of knowledge of Him in every place." For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma of life to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ inside of God. This uh, text uh, is, a, is, is really amazing if you think about it. Because when I was thinking about this text, the, the, Paul is writing this. And this. Paul is what I classify as a, a pastor's pastor. And what you see in this text is the restoration of... Of Paul's joy, the restoration of a pastor's joy. I give the title of this section, A Dishardened Restoration, and, and you'll see it in the weeks to come. When I think about this text, and I think about it in the context of 2 Corinthians, I look at the book of 2 Corinthians as a book of ministry. This is the ministry. All right. We have bought hook, line, and sinker that we get enough people, then we'll go hire ministers. Well, I understand the mindset that is behind that. The problem is, is that's not biblical. If you are saved, you are a minister. You are a servant. You are now and when I look at the book of Second Corinthians, I look at those who are ministering, those who are serving, you will see different things in the book of Second Corinthians that in some cases you will be up against. But then I think about it from the Apostle Paul's standpoint, and I start understanding the call of the pastorate, Um. When I, was, when I was dragged into the pulpit, <laughs> they tell me I was called. <laughs> and I kept telling them to hang up. Um, there, when you serve the risen Lord, there is a degree in that invitation to serve that you know that you will be blessed and 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 when I have stepped back and I thought about what is my fifteenth or sixteenth year um as the pastor here that is an unequaled privilege that, that i I can't compare it to anything, and yet the body of Christ should see the redemption as an unequaled privilege that he wants to spend eternity with me and what would my Father ask of me now? But one of the things that I've learned, one of the things that I have learned from the Apostle Paul, one of the things I've learned from my life is this blessing and unequal privilege Is not all you get in the ministry. The call to serve the church of the Lord Christ Jesus is also an invitation to discouragement, to difficulty, to sorrow, to grief, to pain. Even despair. True pastors. I'm not talking about guys who are hired. I'm talking about true pastors. Understand the privileges and the blessing of his call. And has not also in that call had their heart broken. Had they not been disheartened downcast, discouraged, and probably even a time or two of disappointment. I have a quote here that I would like to read to you from a chapter entitled The Minister's Fainting Fits in a book called Lectures to My Students from Charles Spurgeon. Quote, Fits of depression... Come over the most of us, usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, the wise are not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no Perceptible determent, but surely rust frets even these. And as for ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them to know that they are but dust. Unquote. Now Spurgeon wrote that in the late 1800s. And if you go look at Spurgeon's track record, you would say he was successful, except for the conclusion of his ministry when they basically run him out of church. The greatest theologian, arguably, the greatest theologian in the United States ever produced, as far as I am concerned, and uh, you can choose whom you want, would be Jonathan Edwards. He was the dean of preaching For Princeton, this was before, (laughs) okay, Uh, and was extraordinarily, extraordinarily successful as a preacher, uh, as a teacher, uh, as a man of God. And during one of his sermons, he made this statement We are about to partake of the Lord's table. If you are not saved, Do not partake of the Lord's table. They voted to remove him from the pulpit for being that shallow-minded. And from that point on, he went and preached to the Native Americans. Okay? I have a letter here that I stumbled onto and I want to share with you. I have omitted some of the names to protect the innocent. Uh, You will get the gist of the letter uh, once I have read it. And then, what I'm trying to get you to do is, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul at the writing of this text that you and I are about to spend a few weeks in. Here's this letter Dear Jim, I am through. Yesterday, I handed in my resignation to take effect at once. And this morning, I began to work for the blank land company. I shall not return to the pastorate. I think I can see into your heart as you read these words and behold, not a little disappointment, if not disgust. I don't blame you at all. I am somewhat disgusted with myself. Do you recall the days in seminary when we talked of the future and painted pictures of what we were to do for the kingdom of God? We saw boundless needs for a selfless Christian service and longed to be out among men doing our part toward the world's redemption. I shall never forget the last talk on the night before our graduation. You were to go to the foreign field and I was to go to the first church of blank. We had brave dreams of usefulness And you had realized them. And as I look back across 25 years, I can see some lives that I have helped and some things which I have been permitted to do that are worthwhile. But sitting here tonight, I am more than half convinced that God never intended me to be His minister. If He did, I am not big enough and brave enough to pay the price. Even if it leads you to write me down as a coward, I'm going to tell you why I quit. In these years, I have found not a few earnest, unselfish, consecrated Christians. I do not believe that I am specifically morbid or unfair in my estimate. So far as I know in my heart, I am not bitter But through all of these years of conviction has been growing within me that the average church member cares precious little about the kingdom of God and its advancement or the welfare of his fellow men. He is a Christian in order that he may save his soul from hell and for no other reason. He does as little as he can, lives as indifferently as he dares, and if he thought... He could gain heaven without even lifting his finger for others. He would jump at the chance. Never have I known more than a small minority of any church which I have served to be really interested and in the unselfish and devoted to God's work. It took my whole time to pull and push and urge and persuade the reluctant members of my church to undertake a little something for their fellow man. They took a covenant to be faithful in attendance upon the services of the church. And not one out of ten ever thought of attending a prayer meeting, a large percentage seldom attend church in the morning, and a pitifully small number in the evening. It didn't seem to mean anything to them, that they had dedicated themselves to the service of Christ. I am tired, tired of being the only one in the church from whom real sacrifice is expected, tired of straining and tugging to get Christian people to live like Christians, tired of planning work for my people and then being compelled to do it myself or see it left undone, tired of dodging my creditors, when I would not need to if I had what was due me. Tired of a frightening vision of a penniless old age, and I am not leaving Christ. I love Him. I shall still try to serve Him. Judge me leniently, old friend. I cannot bear to lose your friendship. Yours of old, William. A man called... Gifted leaves the ministry not because of sin, not because of self centeredness, not because of indifference, but because of discouragement. And you know what? There ain't a one of us in this room who have served the Lord Jesus Christ who have not faced that discouragement, that temptation. Even the most gifted and the most faithful have had to face it. As I look at this text, as we look at this text, do you understand that that is the state of mind that we find in the Apostle Paul? Now, me and my morbid mindset, I take great encouragement from that. To know that even Paul was discouraged. To know that I have a fellowship with his suffering. It's fascinating. See, Paul knew deep, disheartening disappointment. And in this text, in this context, it was over the Corinthian church. They had broken his heart. By their shallowness, by their sin, by their indifference, by their rebellion. And and the fact was that the Corinthian church... Had probably greater potentials through anywhere, any other church in all of Europe. Their city was restored by Julius Caesar after being laid bare for a hundred years. and it was sitting at a crossroads. The major transportation hub went through Corinth. And you know what was amazing about the city of Corinth? It was wide open to the gospel perhaps more than any other city in Europe. And the apostle had had great success in his 18 months in Corinth. They, if you read about the founding of the church, he even made the, and the birth of the church and the growth of the church and the work of the church was making the resident Jews jealous. 18 months he labored day in and day out In an evil, evil city. 18 months strengthening the church. 18 months pouring himself into the people. 18 months building a great love and affection for those people. And because he loved them so deeply. They had great potential to hurt him severely. And they did. They did sin upon sin upon sin upon sin, and I mean spiritual disaster after spiritual disaster. That was the mark of the Corinthian church. To the point, the Apostle Paul says later in this letter, and he can say this, that I have been whipped. I have been beaten with rods. I have been stoned. I have been shipwrecked. And nothing brings the grief that my heart feels over my concerns for the church. Hmm. All of the lashes, all of the stones didn't bring the Apostle Paul the pain that he felt inside over the love he was pouring into these people in the Corinthian church and then to watch and be a part of what was happening in their spiritual defection. It was more difficult than any other physical suffering he had gone through watching what was happening in the church. They possessed all the gifts. They came behind in no gift. He had given so much of himself. They were well taught. They were theologically strong. These were not biblical infants. But they divided. They were selfish. They were disorderly. They were worldly. Do you realize that sin stained the Lord's table in this church? They fought each other. They sued each other. They took sexual advantage of each other. Oh, yeah. And they were proud. Extremely proud. In fact, conditions in the church in Corinth were so bad that. The great preacher, Apollos, refused to go when asked by Paul to go and try to set it straight. He didn't want to be exposed to what was going on there. He didn't want that ministry. You know what? If sin... And, and 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 spiritual scandal wasn't enough false teachers had come in and had managed to deceive some in the church members of the church and turn them against Paul himself desiring to destroy the credibility of Paul and then they would take the place as the teachers See, sin and selfishness opens even believers to deception. These people would come in, teach damning lies, and sadly many of the Corinthians had bought into The deception. I mean, they had doctrinal issues. I'm trying to figure out how you get doctrinal issues when you got 18 months of day in and day out of teaching by the Apostle Paul. How do you have a doctrinal issue? Well, it's easy. As soon as I allow sin to rule, as soon as I allow my pride to rule, as soon as I allow my selfishness to rule, then I have schisms, and then I am open to deception. If I'm open to deception, then it will not line up with truth. And now you have what? doctrinal issues and you mix in personalities mix in jealousy and even to the point they had perverted spiritual gifts people wanted to bring attention to themselves so they would pervert the supernatural enabling that God had given them You know what? In a church, someone would stand up in the congregation and curse Jesus in an unknown language. And some thought it was the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, please understand what I'm saying here. This is a church. This isn't a cult headquarters. This is a church. And here you have this man, Paul, writing them. They had no regard even for incest. They abused marriages. They were drunk at the Lord's table. And they enjoyed attending demon feasts. (laughs) I went through that list there I just read off to you. And down at the end of my notes, I said and put in there, What a church! What a church. Certainly, That church could bring grief to a pastor's heart. To a Christian's heart. To anyone who was laboring for the kingdom. I mean, if you're really honest with what I just read to you, you would just walk away and say, I'm going with Apollos. (laughs) I, I I don't want no part of it. I wanted you to understand that because... That is the grief that Paul had. And it needs to be felt when you read this text. You know what? You think about the Apostle Paul and his labor in the city of Corinth and, and the evilness that was in that city. I mean, I, I, well, I've shared with you, it had gotten to the place... Um, uh, Socrates talked of Corinth. He says, truly an amazing place. Bare-chested women climbing poles and spearing pigs. Unquote. They used to have the Isthmian Games. It was similar to the Olympics. Athens was just over the hill from them. And Athens had their Olympics like you and I know of. But they wanted to be different. So they had theirs performed in the nude. If you were in the Isthmian games, you were not allowed to wear clothes. If someone was promiscuous, they were usually referred to as Corinthians or to Corinthian eyes. That's an evil city, people. That is an evil city. And yet God planted a church here. And it was a thriving church for a time. Paul would have to wonder, Could I? would I ever be welcomed in Corinth again? Could, could he ever go back? Um, you know, I want you to remember some things, okay? Remember he had planned a trip back, remember? It got him in trouble. He didn't fulfill the trip and Corinthians said, well, he's not dependable. He planned to go back and chapter 2 tells us that he changed his mind. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Because if you think you're immune to this, you're in a very dangerous place. Paul changed his mind going back to the church that he planted because, because he wasn't up to it. He couldn't take the pain again of seeing what was going on. I... uh had a privilege to, a few years ago to be in uh, London, England, and uh, did some preaching. And uh, I, I went down. Uh, one of my heroes is an English preacher named uh, Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, he's a doctor, um, but he was a, a heart surgeon. So that's why his doctorate was in. Uh, and they said he had an amazing ability to uh, diagnose. And even when he took, he left medicine. And uh, went to the pulpit. And um, they said that he would still get uh, calls or wires on uh, symptoms. And he would give diagnosis and send them back to Europe or up in Scotland. Places like that. But they call him the good doctor. And if you read any of his sermons. um, You see that diagnostic mindset in the text. This man was extraordinarily powerful preacher. I mean, I I can't, I I can't understand it, but he he preached at Westminster Chapel and I had a chance to go to Westminster Chapel. Uh, He's been dead. I think he died in the late 60s, 1960s. And um, when, when I got to Westminster Chapel, I was sort of giddy, sort of, wow, this is where the, martin lloyd jones preached and uh i found a side door open and i cruised in and it has one of those bathtub pulpits it's kind of it's not back up against the wall it's sort of out in the middle and then it's got a balcony it's upstairs and people sit 360 degrees around you and all the rest of it And you just looked at it and you thought man this is this is just sort of holy ground And I went out into the office and was talking to some of the people and what I heard and what I saw broke my heart because they've turned Westminster Chapel into a circus. And I thought, how do you have a church that had that foundational preaching and now... I, I don't have a better term. I don't even want to describe it because it's disgusting. But it's a circus. It's a circus. It's the Corinthian church on steroids. How in the world do you have a church with that foundation? And then I thought about the Apostle Paul in Corinth. And I thought, it's easy. I look at the health of the church today here in Castle Rock. Some of you have no dealings with anybody else in the church. I know many of the pastors who are in this town, and it breaks my heart. Of course, they will tell you that I'm old school and I don't know what I'm doing, and whatever. You know, you have no technology in your church. Lights are on. Come on, and we ain't sitting here with a bunch of candles. Paul wouldn't go back to Corinth because he didn't want another sad experience. He wasn't up to it. His last visit had been very short, had been very brief, and had been excruciatingly painful. Now you think about that for a second. Here was Westminster Chapel in London, has fallen By it, I look at even Metropolitan Tabernacle, where Charles Spurgeon. It went through a time that is was horrifying, and then they've kind of swung way back over here on this side, and they're you gone too far the other way, guys, and so they're coming back. But you know, they they the thing is, is that if you lift up the Word of God and it is foremost, you'll be saved. But I look at what we lift up today as important. And it's, it's almost like if the pastor hasn't written a book, then I don't, I'm just still trying to get through these 66. And then after I get done with them, I'll write a book. Of course, we'll all be like 450 years old, but... <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> the other thing I want you to think about is the writing of this letter... Where is Paul? Ephesus. Ephesus. And if you're really honest with Scripture, you can say, you know, things weren't really going that well in Ephesus either. And some think, uh, some experts believe that while part of his time in Ephesus, that he had contracted a very serious, uh, almost fatal illness. In Ephesus, he makes a statement about we carry about in our bodies the dying of Christ. Or it could have been the relentless persecution. And if you look at scripture, you will find that it, it Ephesus was the center of idol making. That, that, that was sort of like it's sort of like Detroit made cars. Ephesus made idols and, and they weren't picky. I'll make an idol anything you want to worship. Okay, But what was happening was, is the preaching of the gospel, people were leaving their idols. And so now you start messing with the man's income. And there was actually a riot that broke out in Ephesus to run Paul and his companions out of town. He could have lost his life in that riot. Things weren't going that well. Things weren't going that well. That is what I want you to think about when we start developing this text over the next few weeks. The heart of the man. I know that none of you have ever been discouraged in ministry. And I praise God that you're in my life. Okay? Okay? And I know that none of you would ever fall into that letter I read of that pastor who resigned. Okay? You, you, I would never be any kind of a part of that. Uh, every pastor I've been around loves my presence. Here's the Apostle Paul. And there's some serious pain. There's some serious grief in this letter. But I want you to know something. That's ministry. That is ministry. I can honestly say in the years that I have been the senior pastor of this church, I have had some of my greatest heartaches as the pastor. I have endured things that I never, ever dreamed of. And I've had the loss of father and loved ones. And those hurt. Don't get me wrong but they do not compare at times for what the church is capable of doing to a pastor. Verse 16. Who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate for these things? Okay. So when we start into this text, this text breaks down very simply, actually. The first two verses are basically the discouragement. Okay? He had gone to Troas. Now, he says he was there for the gospel. And I'll, and I'll give you some more history on this next week. But he had gone for the gospel, and it says that there was a door opened. But what happened? Now, you think about that for a second, brothers and sisters, you really got to get your head around that. The Apostle Paul... The apostle to the Gentiles, the quintessential church planter. A door was opened for the gospel. And his response was, please get your head around that. We're not talking about some guy who's held, handing out tracts. We're talking about a guy who preached the gospel. They took him outside the city, stoned him for dead. And when he came to, he went back in and preached again. I'm not doing that. You stoned me. I'm out of here. Okay? I mean, if these people are going to throw rocks at me for preaching the gospel, bye. Bye. But the apostle Paul went back because he says these souls don't know, and a door was opened for the gospel in Troas, and he had no rest in his spirit, and he went on to Macedonia. The apostle Paul, read that. No rest in his spirit. No rest in his spirit. How much anguish must the Apostle Paul have had to say a door was open for the gospel and I walked away from it? Everywhere you look at the Apostle Paul, he was kicking at doors. Let me in! I have good news! Now you think, you think I'm kidding you? You go to a synagogue and say, oh, you know, you murdered Messiah? There's a boldness in that. We're crazy. See, you have to understand his discouragement in this section because if not, then this just seems like, well, you know, we're the sweet aroma of Christ to God, da 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 da. Life to the living, death to the dying. <laughs> but if you really look at the text, you will see the restoration of a pastor's heart. Because all the things that I had just shared with you on the church in Corinth, he had confronted. And they changed. Part of the reason he was discouraged that Titus wasn't there, he was waiting for the report. He had sent them the severe letter. Okay? That is not a canonized letter. We do not have that letter. But I bet it's a dandy. I mean, read 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is... Okay, and I wrote a severe letter, but it's gone, and I'm thinking God says you ain't putting that out in the publisher. Okay. And he says Titus's report was that they had changed and they were moving back. But don't ever think the apostle Paul wasn't discouraged. And I take encouragement for that. Because I I'll be honest with you. I've been discouraged. Time or two grieved time or two okay then the last four verses are encouragement on what it's all about and brothers and sisters you who are in ministry please understand you will be disheartened you know what 20, was it 30 years ago? Yeah, 30 years ago, I guess it was. I moved to Colorado. Um, I, was, I was running from some things. We'll call it that. And um, when I first got to Colorado, you know, I got a hold of my mom, and, and and my mom told me she says, "Now, what you need to do is go find you a church." And I was like, yeah, "Right, <laughs> that's what I was thinking." <laughs> and you know she says just go find you a church All right now you think about it would you tell that to somebody today i wouldn't i have a list of churches and it ain't really very big it's sort of disheartening but it used to be if you ran into somebody who was having problems you would say what go to church I'm not that brave right now. I know enough leadership in the church here in Castle Rock that I could not comfortably say, just go find you a church. Okay? And I hate to break the news to you. That's disheartening to me. That brings me grief. The church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And you're hard-pressed in this day and age to find that in church. Okay? If you minister, and what I mean by it, minister, if you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, please know you will be disheartened, you will be discouraged, and you will be grieved. Okay? Now, if you haven't ever experienced those, then I guess the question I would ask is, are you serving? And that's the heart of the Apostle Paul when we get into this text. He was discouraged. 18 months. Loved these people. And they broke his heart. But when he confronted it, they came back. Let's pray. Father, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, you restore our joy. Father, may we who are called by your name understand that uh, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And that, Father, you have overcome the world. You have overcome the deceivers and the liars. And Father, each of us who is here this day is for such a day, such a time to fight for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, may we be found faithful, not swayed. Father, may we not be ones who cause grief. Father, may we not be ones who discourage Father, may we not be ones who dishearten, but Father, may we be ones who bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords and beg you to help us. Father, may we not walk by sight, but by your Spirit. Father, may we hunger and thirst for your righteousness as you would add all things unto us and father may we grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and may we stand in that same grace father may we with expectant hearts know that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus and father may our love for you grow with every breath that you grace us with until that day our faith becomes sight. Help us, Lord. Help us to cherish our brother Paul and, Father, understand his suffering and yet, Father, understand his encouragement and exhortation. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.